Pat Benatar once said in a very poetic way, hit me with your best shot. Well, guess what? Here on Cancel Me Baby today, we're going to take that quite very literally, okay? So I have with me a name you may have heard of. And if you haven't, I do not. I truly don't know where you've been and I don't want to know, okay? But we have the world-renowned scientist physician an architect of the mRNA vaccine technology, Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, he broke the internet harder than Kim Kardashian, okay, when he was on Joe Rogan. Uh, he was causing all kinds of a stir. He is basically the king of cancel culture. You guys, his Wikipedia page literally says that he spread misinformation. This is in the first paragraph, okay? I kid you not. During the pandemic, during COVID, he was just completely smeared, taken off social media, yet he holds numerous patents in vaccines, both uh, domestically and globally. Yes, you can see his shrine here behind him, but... I, I just we... that is the that is the officially the Alex Berenson wall. I just want you to know. No, it's beautiful. And I'm going to say we have a special twist here because talk to me, Taylor, we don't do it like everybody else. Okay. So we also have Dr. Malone's almost the brains behind his operation and his partner in crime, his longtime wife, business partner, the Bonnie to his Clyde, Dr. Jill Malone. Let me tell you a little bit about Jill. She has a PhD in public policy with an emphasis on biotechnology. She's a founder of multiple biotech companies. I used to think I was smart before this day. Thank you both. And she has expertise in immunology, infectious disease outbreaks. So we are going to have a fun time today because it's not a typical thing to see you both together. And I will say you're both looking dapper. Robert, I'm going to assume you're in your Wednesday best for not only me, but for your fine lady here. Uh, well, she set the standard. She put on this lovely silk coat that she bought in uh, Istanbul. And so I had to uh, uh, put on a jacket uh, so I wasn't slumming it. Otherwise, I was exactly. in a t-shirt. And I like, Robert, you're being all in, you know, when I met you and I, when I met you both and I had this idea, I thought, you know, Robert, we're always used to seeing you in center stage. And I really appreciate the boldness and the voice that you brought into the COVID and the pandemic conversation, but time to give Jill the spotlight. So don't worry, Robert, like you're going to have your say, but let's, uh, let's have the lady uh, take the center stage, shall we? And as she said, even before hopping on here, basically, Robert, don't be an asshole. So let's get, <laughs> let's get right to it. You guys, welcome to the show. I'm really excited. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. So Jill, I was so impressed because you really, when I say the brains behind the operation, right, you really, I mean, you told me about how you are up at 5 a.m., you know, writing your Substack articles. And, and really, you said to me, even when Robert was all over this whole media storm, I don't need the recognition. I know what he's trying to do. I know what he's about. I don't need the accolades, right? That's right. But with, with that being said, how was that whole experience for you in the height of it? And has your husband, Dr. Malone, changed in all of this? He's become this internet medical celebrity. 
So he hasn't changed at all, really. Um, how was it at first? It was frustrating. It was um, horrifying as the misinformation by our government, by media spread about him, you know, as he as he got more notoriety for speaking out yeah. about safety issues with the vaccine, um, the stronger the propaganda got, you know, his his Wikipedia page was wiped and rewritten. Um, the pages on RNA and DNA vaccines were rewritten to take his name out of it. Um, and those were early, early events. And it was it was terrible. There was nothing you could do what we could do. And um, except for basically fight back by by making sure that Robert's voice was heard, by getting his voice out there, by doing podcasts, by writing. And then, um, you know, he was banned by from LinkedIn, you know, and, and at that time he was so careful to use peer-reviewed papers to make his points, you know, on LinkedIn and Twitter. So he wouldn't go out and just put out um, statements. He would always try to back it up and, and find quotes from, because at that time, anything you said that was against the vaccines, you would get, you would get wiped. And um, so for a long time, we, we played that game, but even still, eventually he did get banned from LinkedIn and then eventually from Twitter. You know, Twitter was done almost to the day of his Joe Rogan interview. They took yeah. him off. Um, um, I think it was the day he was being interviewed. So there's a good indication that he knew that interview was happening before and, and wiped him before then. So it was, it was kind of terrible and, and terrifying to see his reputation get damaged. I mean, at that point, um, early on, we were still consulting for, um, businesses and governments and we lost all contracts. I mean, they're all gone. We haven't had, you know, that we, we shut that business down and it was a business that we'd had for 20 years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we support ourselves now with Substack and, and some speaking engagements, but that's it. It's so sad and it's so frightening. And I, I, I don't think people quite realize the magnitude of this because people will always say cancel culture is a ho. It's not really real, right? Jason Aldean with his new song, he's canceled quote, but it hits number one. And what I don't think people realize is what you just hit on, right? We see it right. in pop culture. We see it. I even see it in journalism, where if a journalist has an unpopular point of view or is digging into something that's not convenient to the powers that be, yep. suddenly their, their editors, their coworkers isolate them and ostracize yep. them. Like they yep. go, I, it's like the Hunger Games. They literally it, go yes. in on their own. You know, so many of the of the podcasters now are ex-Fox anchor people, ex-CNN anchor, you yeah. know, people who have been cancered by major media companies because they uh, interviewed uh, and, and had wrong think in the interview and, and they were basically fired or their contracts were let go. Right. Um, and, and they can't get another job in, in the industry. Then they end up, you know, being podcasters and, and it's really horrible. And the sad part, I mean, you both are obviously like if anyone were to question your authority, your uber intellectual, successful, like the wall <laughs> says it right there. Right. But what frightens me and why I, this, you know, free speech and thought is a through line of all of my work. Right. But when it comes to medicine in my world, you know, pop culture thought, anybody should be concerned because we are trying to inform and innovate, which both of you have done and move forward. So if we have these authorities and the, the establishment, homogenized thought basically across the world, which is Everybody just so scary. Should. 
It's yes. everybody should be concerned. Yes. And I actually just had Matt Taibbi, the leading journalist of the Twitter files on my show. And he said, digging into all this, whoever it's like the curtain, but the Oz behind the curtain, like whatever Twitter intern that day has that kind of awesome power to shut up someone like either of you, that's scary. Um, so Robert, I want to pivot to you. I said, like I said, I said you would get your say. Don't, don't worry. Going through all of this, given that Jill really has been a backbone for you in so many ways than one, you know, in business and in medicine and what you're trying to do in your message and all this, right? During the height of all this, what would you say was the best advice that she gave you to keep your cool, keep your shit together, so to speak, and, and keep it moving and stay the course? Well, her counsel is daily. Uh, we're we're really after being married for um, going on forty five years and together before that we're high school sweethearts. We we have kind of um, become two as one, and uh, we share all our thoughts. Uh, you know, as she was discussing with you, our morning routine is the dogs wake us up, we feed them, uh, we have a cup of coffee, and we start talking about the daily events and what's going to go into Substack, etc. Early on, because there's been a series of of kind of discrete changes over time, Rogan being a key pivot. Mm -hmm. Before that, uh, the Steve Kirsch Dark Horse podcast event. Uh, and before that, it was the decision to respond to the really malicious defamation and censorship and, and attempts to write me out of history is what it really was. And I don't like conflict. It's the honest truth. Mm -hmm. And so my bias was when this was happening to just say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're assholes and fighting this is a losing battle. And Jill insisted that uh, we engage. And in fact, she was the one that wrote uh, a, a, we had a large box of data uh, that I kept from the Salk Institute and Vical back in the 80s and 90s. And by the way, you, just a little comment on your lead-in. I didn't engineer this vaccine. I just have a whole army of haters that assert that. And I just want to make that clear. I, I was involved in the development of the core technology platform back in the late 80s and early 90s, not in this particular vaccine. Right. But Jill insisted, Jill insisted that uh, we... Uh, make an issue out of this and not go along. And what she did was she drug out a large box of data that we kept, you know, move after move after move over the decades and uh, plowed through it and pulled out basically, you could call it the receipts, the actual primary documents of my invention okay. disclosures and the patent right. filings and the patent that was filed at the Salk. And then the Salk Institute uh, dropped it without telling us. And, you know, this whole history and the documents behind it. And she wrote up an essay from her point of view, mm -hmm. sent copies of all that documentation and that essay to a number of scientists and to UC San Diego and the Salk Institute asking for some sort of acknowledgement that this was uh, true and documented and uh, that the Salk had filed this patent and she queried about why they dropped it without telling us, et cetera. Uh, never got a response from the Salk. The Salk stonewalled. Uh, never got a response from UC San Diego. 
so Robert had early on, um, as he said, he was involved in the invention of mRNA vaccines, but not in this particular coronavirus vaccine. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, so, so what ha what transpired with the clinical trials, with the lipid nanoparticle that they were using, all of the preclinical data, we were not privy to any of that. The bioethics. The bioethics. And we assumed that it was done correctly and that okay. the safety um, trials okay. have been done both preclinical and clinical. And so at that point, I was writing from the fact that um, this big marketing campaign had occurred. And we were, you know, at that point, we had no reason to be suspicious of these mRNA vaccines. Um, we had assumed that the toxicology issues that we had run into, and we abandoned this technology in um, 2000 because we had toxicology, we had inflammation, we had um, issues with, um, you know, in mouse models and, and um, in, in primates. Yeah. Um, and so and so we abandoned it. And and we had assurances that they, these problems had been solved by somebody at the FDA. And then and then what happened was, for the audience that don't know, then Robert got the preclinical data package that was um, submitted Japan. in Japan. Yeah. And um, From it Will. was just clear that um, there were safety signals, there were there was adverse events, adverse events in the mice or rats, um, toxicology issues. And that's when we started, that's when we started digging. You know, it's, I had said this in the thick of it and from the beginning, number one, the, the blind just push to mandate this, right? And I'm a libertarian in this sense, like number one, don't tell me what to do. But my big issue was the fact that we have people like you who have obviously devoted your life's work to this very thing. You obviously are authority figures in this. And yet because it goes against whatever, whoever is in authority that day, you can't even be heard like that to me is wild. And I'd said at the time, you know, we are we in a time machine? Is this Marty McFly? How could we possibly know how this is going to affect us two years down the line, five years down the line? We don't know. You know, given that Jill really did give you the push to speak up, I know this is I'm not trying to make light of this topic. And I know the pandemic was so serious and rocked all of our lives. And I know obviously this is a very serious issue, but did you ever have fun? Was there ever a fun part of it that was like, this is really fulfilling, actually, like as shitty as this is and to be defamed and so, dragged? So the, fun. the cohort of physicians and scientists that um, the Pandemic Health Alliance and others who we went to many speaking engagements with, many conferences, um, they became family. Um, and, right. and, and we did have fun. I mean, you know, it wasn't all bad. Um, there's true. And, and the truth is also that Robert and I are both, we get off on being, um, using our brains and thinking and writing. And so there's, yes. there's a lot of joy in creation in, in putting things together and, and discovering. And, and just to say it, um, we no longer can trust public health and the FDA. And I mean, our whole careers have been spent supporting um, government organizations for which we have lost all faith. Wow. We have lost all faith. And again, you have worked so closely. You have, like I said, devoted your life. And so if you're saying this, what does that mean for the rest of us, right? Like that is, that's serious and that's concerning. It is serious. It is and, serious. And, and would you say, because obviously this became such a divisive issue and it permeated through politics, 
culture, entertainment, right? We started seeing celebrities like Jane Fonda, right? Like get vaccine, they were, vaccine. They were paid. No, they, the, that's, that, so this is one of the key things that you just observed. The propaganda campaign and the purchasing of influencers, including musicians yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. other high profile influencer types was harmonized, simultaneous. It was involved cash, a massive amount of cash. And it happened all across the world, all at the same time with the same strategy, reinforcing the same messaging. You would see the same messaging all across the world propagated. With that being said, Robert, right? And, and also to me, the whole thing, again, the fact that misinformation is splattered on your Wikipedia, it's like, number one, how does it make sense for someone who has been a part of de developing said, you know, technology had gotten the vaccine. Like, how could you be anti-vax, right? But you're smeared and written off as some crazy right-wing yeah. nut job. Now with that said- well, because, because truth is irrelevant in this environment. And well, there's absolutely no ethical boundaries. This is fifth generation warfare, which I lecture about constantly. Yes. Uh, and, and there are no ethical boundaries. It's all based on the utilitarian concept that the ends justify the means. So they will say or do anything uh, and basically what we've had is uh, the captured corporate media together with the administrative state have kind of fused with the intelligence community globally, particularly in the Western nations. And uh, they have assimilated the ethics of the intelligence community, which are basically no ethics at all. Uh, any group that was is quite willing to assassinate uh, and undermine governments and, and uh, manipulate election results, et cetera, internationally, basically has no ethics compared to what you or I might have. So with that being said, right, because somebody listening could go, you went out and you didn't get vaccine and you killed my grandma. And they hear you say, you know, the, the CIA, the government, the media are all involved. Now, I then, when it was at the height of it and even now had my theories, I said, this is about control. Let's not overlook big pharma and, and, and profits and money, right? But for Absolutely. somebody like that who just can't see anything else, what would be the incentive for that kind of control and that power? Power and access. So when you look at the Twitter files and you look at, um, you know, you had dot mil, you had dot, I don't know what the CIA uh, ending is for their emails. You had NIH, HHS, then you had, you know, dot C CDC. C CDC, and then you had all these media people and they were all communicating with each other. They were inviting each other out to lunch. They There were cocktail parties. I mean, media was gaining access to government uh, like they'd never had before. And that's a really powerful thing for yes. media. Okay, not to mention the amount of advertising. You know, the the um, Congress allocated at one point a billion dollars to the CDC for basically giving to media. Um, and a lot more money than that has been documented also. Media profited enormously from government during at, this. At a time when their business model is failing. Their right. business model is failing. Right. For, so, for, so you look at the their, their, their monies and basically as they've lost revenue from subscriptions, they've gained money from government. It's really dangerous. And how about I left California during the pandemic because of all the shutdowns like Gavin Newsom, how am I supposed to make a living, sir? But also we would see the Chicago mayor. We would see, we see Gavin Newsom out fine dining and we're all masked up and at home. So 
it, the, again, the Hunger Games, right? Where the right. hypocrisy right. there. The hypocrisy and, and, and the lack of common sense was crazy. I will say, and obviously I had a problem with all of this from the beginning and was vocal about it from the beginning. Sometimes though, I will say, I see commentators who will literally go as far as to say, they want to keep you, yes, I agree. They want to keep people scared. They want to keep people, right? But they say they want to keep you vaccinated and at home and debilitated and not in the workforce and shut down your business so you're completely dependent on the government. You know, does that ever go a little too far? Like, was it that calculated by the powers that be? Oh, Joe's like, yes, yes, it was, ma'am. <laughs> what do you think? Robert and I argue this all the time about just just what was the motivation yeah uh, yeah 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 so uh the it's the it's the main focus of our book that we co-wrote that book being lies my government told me in the yes. better future coming and a lot of the focus of that book is trying to go down all the rabbit holes not only to figure out who is the puppet master what's behind all this and why but also what's the motivations and Ernst Wolf was one of the early champions of the theory that there was a financial agenda involving uh, the central banks and the Bank of International Settlements that has to do with uh, moving the population towards a central bank digital currency and a more digitized uh, world with massive information collection along the lines of the Chinese model. That's the reveal, control. is, yeah. is uh, control, power, economic power, imperialism. Yeah. Uh, that's all wrapped yeah. up together in, in this thing. And isn't it interesting to, not to sound like an extremist, but how so many, quote, conspiracies, i.e. the lab leak theory, that you were banned, you were not, you were, you know, unethical. What do you know? Prove to be true. You go in that aforementioned time machine and they prove to be true. You know, so speaking to this, I want to pivot a little bit to the the pop culture and the and the cultural level of all of this, right? So, like I said at the time, I was very vocal and and even what you both have said, which is it is too rushed, right? We don't know. I don't feel comfortable with this. We don't know how this will affect our bodies, our population, what have you, X amount of years down the line. Now, I remember, I don't know if you both heard this story, but in the Marvel world and in Hollywood, Letitia Wright, who is um, in Black Panther, I've interviewed before her before, in Hollywood, of course, where it is very much authoritarian, they had vax mandates everywhere from the crew member to the janitor, and, the and, actors. And remember, uh, China owns a large fraction yeah, of Right. And she, at the time, was vocal, saying she had retweeted, I don't know, maybe Dr. Malone, it may be something of yours, to be honest, but she tweeted something that was just asking a question, being skeptical. And I basically retweeted her, being like, right, you know, so it went down the chain. Sure enough, all of this shady shit starts happening, right? It's like she's suspended from the project. She's, right, so that's just one you know, again, pop culture, Hollywood example of how they will shut you up and shut you out. Now we are seeing people, young, healthy people, athletes, entertainers, randomly drop from freak things, cardiac arrest, this, that. I'm just going to name a few, right? We have NFL player, Damar Hamlin, 
who collapsed on the field. LeBron James's son, Bronny James, even Haley Bieber had a stroke. We have an entertainer right now, Tori Kelly, who is, I believe, in the hospital, had collapsed, blood clots. So with that being said, I think it's natural for people like myself to draw these compares these conclusions and go, huh, that's weird. Why are all these young people just dropping? Now, are we nuts? Is there a parallel to be made here? No, you're not nuts. Just to put a little bit of a timeline on this, early in the outbreak, as the vaccine was being developed and the initial clinical trials were happening, I was in uh, weekly contact on a standing Zoom call with three very senior people within the FDA that were outside of the review branch. For insiders, that's kind of important. Um, so they were in the office of the chief scientist and the office of the director. Uh, one of them was the most senior uh, clinical reviewer at the FDA at the time. So uh, these are senior folks, MD, PhD types, et cetera. They were very frustrated and we were all very frustrated about the obfuscation and uh, suppression of what was then known to be uh, the adverse events of reactivation of latent DNA viruses, ergo shingles, EBV, et cetera, and the myocarditis. And yes. the CDC and FDA denied that myocarditis signal existed. They had detected it because they were using some new uh, statistical approaches together with a gentleman that uh, works for Oracle, uh, the Oracle lead biostatistician, who would you, you would think knows something about biostatistical analysis of data and absolutely does. And uh, they had pulled out this myocarditis signal. Uh, the US HHS infrastructure denied that that existed. And so out of frustration, they went to Israel and the Israeli uh, yeah. database group and uh, disclosed their findings. Mm -hmm. And at the time there was this belief that the Israeli data was the only good data. And the CDC acknowledged that VAERS was a problem and, and that they didn't have any good database to capture these signals. So then the Israelis, and it's, it's a nuance of, of biostatistics and statistical analysis. You can't do multiple tests simultaneously. You have to kind of have a hypothesis. Oh, this is the thing we're going to look at. And then it's a lot easier to detect. And so the Israelis, once they were given the heads up, ran the numbers just for myocarditis and pericarditis and said, holy moly, there it is. Wow. And then yeah, they notified that. the CDC and then the CDC verified it. And that was the original uh, identification of that signal. And then there was this huge uh, media campaign to deny the truth and to obfuscate uh, patient informed, block patient informed consent about the potential risks. The next event was that the Washington Post acquired a CDC slide deck that was apparently leaked to them uh, very early on. And uh, I analyzed that slide deck and it showed and, and wrote about it. And it showed that number one, there, the, the vaccines were so leaky that there was no way we would ever be able to achieve herd immunity using the vaccines. And they knew it uh, about two years ago, despite Tony Fauci's various lies over time. Uh, so there was that, they knew about the myocarditis, they continued to deny it. We did have uh, one of the bastions of uh, defense, you know, one of the anointed uh, vaccinologist Paul Offit come out recently in a podcast mm -hmm. in which he acknowledged that uh, myocarditis and pericarditis were causative. In other words, that the vaccines were causing these things. 
-hmm. But he still came up with a limited hangout. He said, well, maybe this is due to autoimmune disease. Right. That theory was is about two years old and it is not consistent with the data. So basically what he did was he is he is floating the most benign explanation. Uh, oh, we couldn't possibly have known this because uh, it's an autoimmune phenomenon. It takes a long time to detect that. That's that's a lie. The fact that you see these elevated cardiac enzymes within hours after the jab shows that it is a, a wow. um, direct cardiotoxicity mm-hmm. associated with the particles themselves. It's not any autoimmune-based phenomena that's going on. Not to mean that that doesn't happen. That's what I was going to say. And it also, also happens in terms sure. of blood clotting right. on this thrombotic thrombocytopenia. But, um, but there's no question... You know, and, and there's there's a lot of good evidence that if you have lean muscle, that you have low body fat, that um, you're going to be hit harder with myocarditis. You right. know, there's, there's a reason why the CDC said, oh, if you just got vaccinated, you shouldn't go exercise for two weeks or whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Can we just talk about, I mean, I remember again at the height of this, you mentioned Fauci, Dr. Malone, who also is like, who is the biggest media whore next to Kim Kardashian, like literally would take every MSNBC slot he could. <laughs> the beloved quote, the science, like I always said, like, what is the science today, everybody? Because whatever the, they make it the rule don't, versus don't science, which is ever changing. Came, don't forget the quotes that came from the uh, World yeah. Economic Forum and the UN. It was the UN. We own the science, Okay. That was their response and why they should Google, why they should censor Google and put their rankings and rankings that promote the vaccine at the top. If that's not 1984, if that's not 1984, I don't know what is because science is not the rule. It is ever, as you both know more than anyone, expanding, changing, evolving. For for non-believers, there are plenty of peer-reviewed papers that show this. This is not just like some physician talking. You know, they're hard to find because there's so many papers on COVID. If you go to PubMed.gov and try and search things, it's very difficult. Yeah. But there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of papers on adverse events from these vaccines. Now, Dr. Malone, really quickly, back to Fauci, had you ever been in the same room with him since all this started? Because I would love to be a fly on the wall to watch not since, that. Not since it started. Uh, I've, I've kind of crossed swords with him in some public forums over time, particularly over Zika. And I have been in his office and met him. Uh, he doesn't remember that, according to some subpoenaed documents uh, that were obtained from FOIA. And he claims he 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 didn't know who I was. I think probably he knows now. Uh, but uh, um, he's so Tony. I I've had to live uh, under the shadow of Tony Fauci my entire professional career. Oh my I started. God. I started in 83, really doing virology research as the laboratory that I was in at UC Davis was one of the ones that was at the lead of identifying that a retrovirus was associated with AIDS. Fauci, I I don't know a better metaphor than he acts like a mafioso. He acts (laughs) like the godfather. He runs an extended network of associates, which he he keeps at heel quite close or has historically through his control of massive amounts of funding, and then his operational arm. We were the one to break this story. I went into the federal database because I know the various nefarious ways of searching things out in Govyland and uh, pulled up the uh, phone numbers and listings for all of 
his media personnel that report directly to him at the NIAD as opposed to director of NIH. These are just the people that report to Tony Fauci. I think there were 65 full-time employees dedicated to Fauci and managing his media. Uh, his media. And then there was like 12 or 13 associated with managing the Hill. Uh, so that shows you the relative balance. When, yeah. you, when you say, I mean, you, you called him a media whore. Uh, I wouldn't object to that, uh, but uh, it was supported by a army that any newsroom would be proud of. I would get, I made fun of it at the time, being very much in the Hollywood press circuit. And I would literally get press releases where it would be like, you know, this event at the Beverly Hilton in Los Angeles honoring Aunt Dr. Anthony Fauci. I'm like, you truly can't make this shit up, right? But I will say as an Italian, Tony Fauci does not speak for the rest of us. He does not re represent us. Our government is heavily involved in research for human augmentation and for the military uses, okay? So when we talk about Neuralink, they're not doing it because they feel sorry for the um, injured veteran who has a spinal injury. They're doing it because the true reason they're doing it is because they wanna augment our troops because they believe that the CCP is augmenting their troops. So they want to have neural links. They want to have ways to control computers. They want to have, they want to have sensors in our skin to, that can work with an exoskeleton. I mean, they're, they're doing, they're designing some crazy stuff and well, this that, is reality. The, the... And what really bothers me about this is this, this is another runaway technology where yes, they have an IRB, you know, looking at the safety of the clinical trial, but nobody's out there looking at whether this is good for society, whether this is good for mankind, whether it's good that we're going to be, you, and, you know, you, that our brains, that we're going to be able to, to interface directly with a computer. There's a dystopian future that's been pushing us through cyberpunk and media and, you know, the Marvel films and everything else that, that plays into this all the time. Iron Man, you know, we and, and how much of this is being driven by um, our military and CIA in terms of this messaging and media. I think we really have to, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying we have to look at it. But I've gotten to the point where I question everything and there's no question that sure. human augmentation is is a large part of military research right it's, now. It's a large part of what the WEF uh, and Yuval Harari describe yeah. as the fourth industrial revolution, revolution. the fusion yeah. of man and machines. Yeah. That is explicitly yeah. an objective. And, and nobody's asking us about this. And listen, I think that, you know, true to my beliefs and my core, my work, people need to, we need to question authority. We yes. need to hold them accountable. Yes. We need everybody to be heard because yes. the alternative is not good. Now, very last question, because unfortunately I do have to uh, let you go, is with all of this being said, are you hopeful about thought, about all of this and free kind of discourse moving forward? Oh, put the camera on me, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> You go first. I'm Ladies hopeful because, because mankind has survived, you know, as, with, with culture and civilization for thousands of years. And I hope that we're going to get through this and, and find some way forward. And I think, you know, one, one way I'm hopeful is rural and less urban communities are very much awake to this stuff. And um, I think yeah. there are many states that are protecting themselves. And luckily in the United States, states have sovereignty over the federal government unless um, it's specifically laid out. And so that's kind of my hope is that our constitution and it's why I've really turned into a constitutionalist is in the end gonna save us. So my take on this is a little darker. Um, that's okay. 
I, I think we're in for some uh, really choppy waters uh, mm-hmm. for quite a while. It's my belief that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one way forward for many people who are awake uh, as opposed to woke and re- remembering that historically there's lots of, of research in psychology, behavioral research, showing that about 75% of the population is readily suggestible. So we, they're easily hypnotized and particularly 25%. Only about 25% of the population is resistant to these kinds of psyops uh, manipulations. And typically only about five to 10% of the population really wants to be free. So if you're in, and I'm, I'm sorry, but Taylor, you probably are in that minority based on uh, what you're doing here and the banner behind you. Uh, and, this whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so for those of us who are in that minority, as Matthias Desmond teaches, number one, if we don't want the rest of the culture to go even deeper in crazy land, we have to speak out. Yes. Even though they will attack us. 100%. Even though they may physically attack us. We may, yeah. we may pay in a lot of different ways, you know, not just with the social credit system or being debanked or all these other nefarious things that they're coming up with, it's going to get a little rough. And uh, we have to be willing to stand our ground. And we also have to find ways to connect with each other to build communities. And this is the the logic of uh, intentional communities, whether they're at a distance and we're tied together because of common interests or perspective, like what we're sharing right now, or uh, local communities like we have here in uh, semi-rural Virginia, uh, where uh, we depend and interact on each other and build uh, a network of capabilities and more of an Amish way of life uh, with uh, a little more self-reliance. R- remember, Jill and I have literally homesteaded our current farm. We own it completely uh, we're debt-free. We own the tractor. We own the truck. We own everything. Completely paid off, uh, including the farm and our home. And uh, that is a model that a lot of people are starting to go to because the banking system is at the center of a lot of this control, and uh, it is absolutely being weaponized more and more on an incremental daily basis. We're seeing it. Nigel Farage was just one example. The Canadian truckers was another example. And uh, we're seeing this propagated down to the levels of folks like you and me. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's I think, the, the silver lining here is that we can now see their hand. Uh, and we can, for those of us that are willing uh, to uh, try to maintain our freedom, because uh, we, we can't live without it, uh, we have to start building intentional communities and, and uh building up infrastructure to allow us to survive this coming storm. Exactly. And it's a pivotal moment right now. And obviously I appreciate the work you're doing. I know here on my end with my, my little cancel me baby banner, we are not uh, to be shut up and, you know, you got to go through hell to get to paradise. So I agree. I think, uh, I think the silver lining is there. Um, and speaking of paradise, I love what you said, Jill, about how you're like, we get off to thought and intellectual combos. Like I think scientists get freaky in the sheets. Like you got to let out the steam somehow. So that is my scientific theory about that. <laughs> Whether you two want to confirm or deny that is, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> takeaway yeah, from we're, today. We're, we're, we're basically geeks at heart. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, thank you both so much. Um, so enlightening and, and thoughtful and fun. And uh, I will let you and your wall of accolades go and keep, uh, keep speaking out. Thanks for thank having you. us on. Thank you. Thank you both so much.